Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Um, you may have had uh, an email, uh, if you remember, a few weeks ago about a, a church directory that we're trying to get together um, with the aim of being able to contact each other more effectively. Uh, obviously, you have to give permission for that. You have to be willing to put your name and details on that. Uh, some of you responded to the email. Some of you may still yet do that. Um, but there's some sheets on the back which look a bit like this. So if you want to do it manually and hand them in to me, uh, then please do. You can do it that way. So you're, you can put in as much details as you want to. Uh, name, uh, email, emails, phone, phones. Some of you got four or five phones, I guess, phone numbers, uh, addresses. Um, most of you got one address. But um, so, yeah, please put the details in. If you're willing to, a uh, little thing to sign as well, just to indicate that uh, you're willing to be in the church directory that we hope to get together into the future. And it could also form the basis of a, a prayer uh, list for each other so we can remember each other in prayer. It's great to be with you. So we, shall we pray before we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit. And we ask now that you'd help us to learn from your word, help us to live lives that glorify your son, Jesus, more, that are more like him in this world. And we ask you to bless us and the children now as they have their time in the other room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Dale said, this is the second of our little mini-series of three looking at the theology of relationships. And uh, this morning we're looking at uh, relationships with each other, with each other. Last week we looked at the ultimate uh, and foundational relationship, and that is to know God. Jesus said, now this is eternal life. This is life of the capital L. This is life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the essence of life is to know God. God made us to know him. And then we also reminded ourselves that, that sin is the relationship breaker. Sin is the relationship breaker. So sin drives apart God, you and me. Uh, we see wars. We see uh, division in society. We see brokenness because of sin, because of disobedience to God's law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we see that shattered by our disobedience. And history shows us that time and time again, the effects, the division that's caused between God and us and between you and me. So God made us in his image to know him, to be in a relationship with him and to know each other in community, this, this wonderful triangle, if you like. And you, me and Jesus, Jesus, me and you, has got torn apart by the breaking of God's laws of love. But of course, then the gospel restores the gospel restores our relationship with God through Jesus, and then links are restored between as they're linked, restored between him and us, they're also restored between you and me. The, the distance between us and God grows shorter and shorter as we get to know him better, and it grows shorter between you and me. We are brought together into a close family. And so the gospel, the Christian message, primarily reconciles us to God and God to us. We find forgiveness. We find new life, we find peace with God, freedom from guilt through believing in Jesus who died for us, who rose again. But then the gospel also rebuilds community. It rebuilds community. Community as it was meant to be in the first place, before sin broke the relationships. And we know through history that sin has caused divisions, the division between Jew and Gentile, for example. Uh, the, 
The effects of sin has caused division in that there are wars between nations and wars within nations as well. Racism and other kinds of division in communities and brokenness in family life are really ultimately when you boil it down to the essence of it is because of sin, because we've been selfish, self-centered and ignored God. The Christian community is designed to be a unified family, to reverse the effects of division, bringing together people from all backgrounds, people from all walks of life in brotherly and sisterly love. And so the Christian gospel is the antidote to division. It brings us together. And so we think about the, the flock, the flock. Now, Jesus was speaking about himself and talking about himself as the good shepherd. And he tells us that one purpose of his mission is to bring together sheep from different folds into one flock. And it's probably he was referring to the division between Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jewish people. And he says in John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 15, he says there, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So it's a beautiful thing to think that the Lord Jesus came to reconcile us with God, which is the ultimate foundational relationship we need, but also with each other to bring us together. And that this big family of Christians, it, it's to be international, it's to be cross-cultural, it cuts across social barriers, it cuts across age barriers, it brings together male and female, it brings together people of different walks of life, different social backgrounds. There's a lovely verse in Galatians chapter 3, where it talks about uh, the, the antidote to racism, the antidote to division, the antidote to all that, that sin has done in breaking apart relationships. It says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. So spiritually speaking, in terms of being valued and loved, although we have different roles, different characters, in terms of being valued and loved, how we are saved, how we're brought into relationship with God, there's no distinction between people anymore. We have different roles and characters, as I said, but our unity in fellowship is that now a glorious thing where God is, is building us together into a beautiful place. Uh, we're, we're obviously not bricks and mortar, but we're a people, but the Bible describes us as being built together to, into a holy temple in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21. We see how what we're doing this morning to God is a very beautiful thing. Uh, you know, we're a mix of people. Uh, we're not sitting in military rows here. We're scattered a little bit. And, uh, you know, but, uh, and maybe we don't feel very beautiful. Maybe we don't feel very good this morning. But as God looks upon his people gathering this morning, it is something beautiful. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a beautiful picture of our gathering this morning, our relationship and the, the wider church across the world. Now we need to celebrate this togetherness, this one flockness. We need to develop it as well. We need to protect it. And we need to welcome others into it. How do people come into this flock? How do people come into the fellowship? Well, it's the gate and the gate is Jesus. In John, John's gospel, chapter 10, uh, Jesus says there that he's the, the gate for the sheep. This is what he says. 
Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So Jesus is the gateway. He's the, the door. And he's the one through whom we come to be part of this flock. And so therefore, this means that the church family is open to all. We welcome all kinds of people from all backgrounds. But to actually be a spiritual member of this flock, there's one gateway. And that's why we need to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Savior. He is the gate for the sheep. He's the one who came to rescue us. He's the one who died and rose again. This is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus who saves us from our sins, puts us right with God, brings us together, reconciles us, and brings us into a right relationship with each other. And so we can come truly in. And if you've not yet come in, the invitation is there this morning. Jesus is the gate. Trust in him, believe in him, and become part of this flock. So the church community, there are different kinds of relationships. And we're going to think about a number of different kind of relationships within the church community within the church family, and of course in the wider world as well. But we're thinking particularly of the Christian theology of relationships. Now we're going to skim across a number of issues this morning, uh, because we haven't got time to go in great depth. We could spend a whole series on each of these particular subjects, these headings that we're going to look at now. But if you do have any questions, please feel free to ask afterwards. And I'm going to make an offer later on uh, for further help, but we'll come to that a bit later but let's look at friendships friendships now we all know that friendships are very valuable and very important in 1 Corinthians 15 verse uh, 33 the Apostle Paul there writes do not be misled bad company corrupts good character and those of us with children we all know uh, our concern that our children keep good company we don't want them to get into bad company do we and we know from our own experience when times we maybe have got into bad company and bad things have happened. We've got uh, into trouble possibly because of being in bad company. So it's important to have good friends, isn't it? It's important to be good friends for each other. And we need to interact, of course, with people in our schools, those who are younger, in our uh, universities and colleges, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. And we are meant to be salt and light in our community and to overflow with the love of God to others. But thinking particularly of the church family, we need to be faithful and loving friends to each other. This is how the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 7, uh, describes his fellow Christian. He says, dear friends, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Dear friends. And it's also good that we have particular friendships particular friendships in our lives with maybe a few, maybe even just one or two really good close Christian friends, people that we can share with more deeply, people that we can pray for, people that uh, can be an encouragement to you and you to them. So important. In Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 24, lots of advice in the book of Proverbs, including on friendship. And it says there, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We need to be friends for each other, there for each other. And it's good to have close friends, people that we can share with in confidence and to support each other in the trials of life. So friendship is important. 
That's something we can pray about if we as yet don't have that close friend with someone in the fellowship and a fellow Christian. And we can pray about that in a bit. But let's think about those who are unmarried. That's another area of relationship in the church. It's um, born of a better word, really, because it sounds quite negative, doesn't it? Unmarried. Those are single. Um, and uh, you can see a picture there of mountains and the, the, the sky and the, the balloon. And think of adventure. Single, singleness can be uh, a very positive thing, can't it, as well? And we need to remember that. In our community, there are people who are single with opportunities that those who are married don't have for, for life, for travel and, and adventures, if you like. Some people are happy with their singleness. And I'm very conscious that there'll be some of you who are finding it very, very hard, extremely hard. There are a lot of pressures on people, aren't there, to be, to be partnered up. And those pressures come from within, don't they? Because there's genuine desires, there's loneliness that we experience. I remember when I was uh, about 27, 28, uh, just before I met Mandy, uh, and uh, I was in my, in my, well, my room, the home, uh, my parents' home, where I had my desk, and I was working away there. And I remember just starting to cry. I was about 27-ish, and I remember just starting to cry. And my mom came in, and, uh, and basically I was lonely. And I felt so painfully the, the feeling of being lonely. And uh, that, that feeling happened a number of times, and then... And then I met Mandy, so I sorted that out. But uh, it can be excruciatingly lonely, can't it, to be single? There are also pressures from outside. Let's think of all the, the films. Think of all the pop songs. Think of all that flows through social media. Think of all the adverts we get on television. Everything adds up to give us the impression that we're not complete, that we're not whole, that we're not up to scratch if we're not partnered up. What's wrong with you? You haven't got someone in your life. Something wrong with you. This is the impression that we get. This is the pressure that is from outside. Well, let's remember this. The only perfect man was not married. The only perfect person of it, whoever existed, was not married. Who's that? Jesus. Did Jesus have any children? No. And yet he was perfectly fulfilled. So if you're single, you're actually there with Jesus, aren't you? You can't get much higher than that but it can still be painful. Rather than seeing singleness as a, a problem by default, we should see it more positively. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and uh, the Apostle Paul appreciates the fact that uh, singleness can be a painful thing and uh, something very difficult to experience, but he also points out that it is a positive thing as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So the Apostle Paul was single, and he'd learned to be content with that, and he used his singleness and his energies of being free and single, where his pockets did jingle. Well, I suppose maybe not, um, but he wasn't, wasn't a very wealthy uh, man. But he was someone who used his opportunities, his energies, his freedoms to spread the gospel and to serve the Lord. And that's what he put his effort into. And to be single needs great strength, it does. And to be single also makes you more useful in a number of ways. And the Apostle Paul was saying, if it's possible, if you can be content, if it's, the, the, if it's what you're able to do, then it's a good thing. Opportunities are there for you. Don't chafe against it. You're not a lesser person. In fact, there are opportunities that you have. I remember once, um, before, before I got married, there's an older colleague of mine, used to say, you know, Carl, 
when you get married, every penny, every penny bond costs cost tuppence. And uh, what, it, what he meant was this, that when you get married, there are responsibilities and uh, everything costs twice as much because you have to provide for two people. And then when you get children, well, it, it adds up, doesn't it? And there are advantages and there are freedoms. Being single is not a problem by default. And the other thing is this, we need to remember that marriage is not an answer to our problems. It's a rearrangement of our problems with plenty added in. It's a rearrangement of our problems. Don't think that marriage is the answer to everything. All your problems, all your struggles in life, if only you have the right person, everything's going to be sorted. No, it's not. No, it's not. It'll be a rearrangement of your problems and some added. That's why the Apostle Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. And then he says the same thing for, for women. And then verse 35, he writes here, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Stresses, pressures, Concerns are added when a person is married. I'm not trying to be too negative about marriage. I hope that's not coming across, but this is the reality. To be married is not the top of the tree in the Christian community. You know, there is an idea that if you're not married, you're maybe not quite up to scratch. That we see families with, with children and, and so on, and there you are single. And the impression can be that you are less of a person, less complete. But that's not true, not according to the Bible, not, not according to the example of Jesus, not according to the Apostle Paul, even though it can be very tough. It is one of the roles, singleness is one of the, if you like, roles, if it's, if it's, if it's given to us, if that's a, a kind of calling in a sense, we can put it that way. And it's one of our roles, and it's one of the relationships that is possible with equal value to every other kind of relationship in the life of the church community. It does not make us more or less Christian or more or less holy or more or less uh, of a, a person who's loved by God to be single or not. So it's important to remember that. And again, Jesus was single and, and he enjoyed good and respectful relationships with men and women. And as I said, in some ways, being single makes us more useful in the sense that we're more flexible. There are disadvantages and advantages both ways. Now, as I said earlier on, and I repeat, to be unmarried for some people, many people maybe, can be very, very painful. The desire to be married, to have children, can be a very powerful drive, can't it? And it's a good thing to have these desires and drives. It's not a wrong thing at all. But there can be a desperation that drives us to get married. There can be a desperation with all the pressures of what the world is saying to us, as well as what's within us, to be partnered up. And we make exasperated decisions, maybe even foolish decisions. We think, before we die, what a tragedy if I cannot experience intimacy. Before I die, if I cannot experience marriage and, and, and having children, what a waste of my life. That's the kind of pressure that comes upon us. And then we want to make that decision, even in a pressured situation. And those feelings are real. And we need to sympathize and support people with those struggles. And if you're one of them, then we, we want to understand and want to help and support you. But we all, all, all of us need to remember this, that there is a heaven ahead. There is a heaven ahead. And the very first second in heaven, you'll never regret 
what you think that you're now missing out on. When you get married, there are things you miss out on as well, because there are maybe adventures that you could go on as a single person, explorations, you could be an explorer in the North Pole or the South Pole or whatever. When you're married, you can't do that, can you? There are sports you can be involved in, activities you can be involved with as a married person, sorry, as an un unmarried person that you can't do because you've got responsibilities. And as I say, every penny bun costs two, three, four, tuppence, whatever. There are responsibilities. Uh, and, and as single people, there are things that we will miss out on. That's true. And there are different things that we all miss out on for the kingdom of God. We might have been wealthier, wouldn't we? If uh, we might have been able to tick more things from our bucket list, if we were not committed to church life, if we were not committed to Jesus. There are sacrifices that we make as Christians in giving, in sharing, in serving others when we could have served ourselves. But whatever we don't have, we will be blessed in other ways in this lifetime. I found that in my experience. And of course, in heaven, there'll be more goodness that we can, than we can ever dream of. We need to keep that heavenly perspective. It's hard when you're struggling as a single person. It's hard when there are those sacrifices you make to love your husband, your wife, and serve your children. But we need to keep the heavenly perspective. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 10, well, first of all, Peter speaks up and says, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So we need to keep a heavenly perspective in mind. And the other very important factor is this, that however much we long to be married as a single person, the pain of a bad relationship, the pain of an exasperated decision, the long-term damage to yourself, the long-term damage to others around you, the heartbreak from a wrong relationship is practically worse than resting with singleness. You see, singleness, the pain, loneliness is, can, be very, can be very real and upsetting. But in an exasperated situation to partner up with someone, to make the wrong decision, causes so much practical damage, collateral damage, as they might say, to people around us. So we need to keep that in mind too. Having said that, it is a difficult thing. And if you need support and more prayer and encouragement, then let's look after each other and help each other with the difficulties that singleness presents. Let's now think about marriage. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. This is the Apostle Paul writing again. And he said, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. We read that earlier on. So uh, let's um, go down to uh, verse 34. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please the husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So basically what Paul is saying here is that there are advantages, of course, to be married as well as disadvantages. And he's saying this is something you need to face up to. There are stresses and pressures on a married person that a single person does not have. And we need to remember that the getting married is not a flowery romantic dream. 
I describe it as a family business. It's a family business. The image of a family business seems to me to be more the reality of the historic marriages in the Bible. And we know some of them are four, uh, 5,000 years old or so. But we can see through the Bible that this family business image is, is there. The purpose of marriage, of course, was to continue the family line, continue the, the genealogy. The, the purpose of marriage was to partner in complementary roles uh, to, in the household or in the tent, as in the case of Abraham and, and his, uh, and his uh, peers. The purpose of marriage was to bring up children for the family line, that's true, but also for the family business, for the, for the farm, for the home industry, for the, the, the pottery, the textile making, the leather work, whatever the family business was. Now hold on to that image of the family business, the family business. The way that people got married was, was often arranged back in the day, in Bible times, or semi-arranged. There was some choice involved. But in Bible times, if we're using the Bible as an example, there, there's no dating. There's no dating as in the Western world. And there's no precise formula for a good marriage in the Bible. And we need to, to bear that in mind. Clearly, in, in marriage, we see there's enjoyment of the physical relationship of sex. Song of Solomon celebrates human love within the bond of, of marriage. So there's a, an honesty and a reality about that. Uh, we must not think that the Bible thinks of, of sex as something uh, kind of to be not talked about or something dirty in the corner, as it were, but it's, it's something that is celebrated in the Bible. Uh, we see that in marriage, there was mutual comfort and care for, for, for your spouse, for each other. We also see that, generally speaking, marriage in the Bible was more functional and less ideologically a dreamy romance, less a dreamy romance and more functional. Remember what I said earlier on, marriage doesn't remove your problems it rearranges them. It also adds some. And it's the same when you start a business, isn't it? There are some great things, opportunities in starting a business. But we also take on challenges. There's things to learn, things to develop, things to build, things to construct. And when we look at the New Testament, we move on from the Old Testament, and we see a clearer picture of the love and respect the husband and wife are to have for each other. We see in Ephesians, that husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we see a clearer picture of the love and devotion that husbands are to pour upon their wives. And we see that equally wives are to show love and respect for their husbands and to respect their leadership role in the home. So there's this mutual love here. There's mutual respect for each other. Yes, we're different. Men and women obviously were different, different roles. But there's this picture of this, this mutual love and respect and the, the the picture image we have is is christ and his church so it's a lovely image of, of marriage here now there are some good books on christian marriage good resources but i believe that there are some which give us an unhelpful template because what happens is this that you'll get the kind of a the image uh, of a particularly from maybe a certain country in the world where most of these books come from uh, everyone with perfect teeth and uh, perfect smiles and uh, perfect, uh, perfect situations and fa family life and, and uh, the kind of stereotype uh, across, the, across the Atlantic Ocean. But that's not the reality. And that's often not what's biblical, what's presented to us in those books. It's more cultural and biblical. And although there are good principles in all these things that we can take out and discern, we need to be careful that we're not sometimes setting up a, a straw man image, as it were, of marriage. 
because there's no exact model for marriage given to us in the Bible. There are principles, there are principles to take to heart, and for each couple then to, if you like, with their distinctive personalities and in their culture, whatever culture it might be, to take those principles and to build their marriage, to build their relationship. And building is a key thing I think we need to take uh, to heart. You see, marriage is always a work in progress. Always a work in progress. Two faulty people coming together. It's going to be a work in progress, isn't it? Two faulty people coming together. Two faulty people learning to adjust and to adapt to each other. And, they, and we change over the years, don't we? So we need to learn to adapt to each other and change as, as we change, as we grow up and mature. We need to adapt and, and learn how to relate to each other as we go through the different seasons of life. Constantly adjusting and adapting and changing to challenging circumstances. You know, you make it through, bring up the children, and then they leave. Then it's just you two, isn't it? Darby and Joan. And you have to learn to talk about things other than the family, other than the children. Mandy and I uh, went, went away uh, last year, wasn't it? And, and uh, was it early this year? Oh, this, that's right, yeah. And, was, and we haven't gone away from home much. We've usually stayed at home with the children. We've very rarely gone, gone away. Um, and uh, so to actually go away on our own is quite a rare thing. And for a little while, you kind of think, what do we say? What do we talk about? And, and, and it's, you have to adjust and readjust. And we need to think about that into the future, don't we? So how are we going to talk to each other? You are Mandy. That's right, Mandy. I remember your name. So we it's something we have to change to and adapt. And that's something that you might be going through at this point and you might need help and support with. You know, when, when we think about the unhelpful templates, you know, let me ask you something. It's often said, Christians, uh, marriage couples who pray together, stay together. Where does it say in the Bible that? It doesn't say that in the Bible. It might be common sense, but it doesn't say that in the Bible. So there's a situation, for example, uh, just pick on a wife for example um you're dog tired uh children stuff the children into bed they're just about going to sleep you're absolutely tired and uh the husband comes along and uh we must have a prayer time together and so he gets out his burkhoff's uh, systematic theology from the shelf right wife let us come to the lord together and we'll have a you're tired you're dog tired give her a break you know, sometimes the t I'm exaggerating a bit there, as you know, as you can see, but sometimes there's a template. We must do something this way. We must do something that way. And sometimes it's common sense and we can take the principle, but sometimes we c the principle can actually be something which can cause a pressure that is actually unhelpful. That's just, just one example. So we need to recognize that, that marriage is such a precious thing, but we need to see it as a family business, something to, to be building, something to be constantly uh, in need of adaption and, and facing different challenges when circumstances and seasons of life change. But basically, essentially, Christian marriage is a partnership of two Christians, obviously. Hmm. Christians who love Jesus most of all, more than each other. If you're looking for a good husband or a good wife, or if you want your husband or your current husband or current wife, encourage them to love Jesus more than you. Encourage them to love Jesus more than you because you'll, they'll love you better in the end. So it's a partnership of two Christians who love Jesus most of all, and of course who love and respect each other with a lifelong commitment. Till death, do your part. 
The couple worships God through their mutual care and support of each other. That's part of our worship. We don't put our Christian worship into a box. If you like on a Sunday and then the rest of the week is something else, it's all our lives, including our marriages. And we also worship God by being a team to spread the gospel. And if the couple has children, then of course to share our gospel, the gospel with our children is our first priority. And our family and our home are to overflow with gospeling love to, and hospitality to others around us. You see, this is what I'm saying, what, what I said earlier on. The Christian marriage is at its heart a gospel family business. It's about Jesus. It's about the kingdom of God. Not simply about me living my life, getting what I want, so that eventually I can retire with lots of grandchildren around me and, and live life how I want. No, it's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. Yes, there is love and there's laughter and there's warmth and fun. And, uh, and that's great. And that's part of it too. But everything needs to be worked out. It's a family business. The couple's relationship, communication, care, thoughtfulness and prayer for each other needs regular self-checking and attention. It's a building. And so we need to take care to build this precious family business. Okay, moving on to dating now. There's a book written called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And uh, that's a very, very interesting title there. Now, th there are many cultures in the world, aren't there? Different cultures. But what are the biblical principles of how a man or woman meet together and get married? What are the biblical principles? A Christian looking to get married, first of all, it has to be a Christian, doesn't it? Because the Bible says, don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. It's not good for you. It's not good for them even though you might have real feelings for them. So the Bible says, Christians look for Christians. So you can be that in that family business, that gospeling family business. Now, that's who you look for, but how do you meet people? How do you get married? Of course, that's variable. Sometimes it's harder than others. And uh, of course, even in Bible times, there was a variation of how people actually met with each other. But there is a principle that should guide us, and it's, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 1 to 2. This is the principle for us to use when it comes to prayerfully seeking that partner for life. You might think, well, this doesn't seem to talk about that. Well, there's a principle here that we use. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as, as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. With absolute purity. That's the principle that we need to use. Dating is not a game. Dating is not a game. People can get very hurt, very damaged. Love for each other as fellow Christians, love for each other as fellow human beings means we don't play games with people's hearts. We don't play games. We don't play the field through the singles in the church or in the Christian youth group. Sexual relationships are clearly for within marriage only with absolute purity. Treat younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, of course, one bit of advice is this. Get to know others as part of the wider church family. Get to know each other in that context. Not to try out a succession of different one-to-one -one relationships, constantly trying to find the person in that way. No, keep to the group. Get to know each other in the group. Get to serve the Lord together in the group. Be part of the Christian young people's group or or fellowship group, whatever it is. And if you do feel attracted to another single person 
It needs to be, of course, with lots of prayer, advice, and marriage in mind. You see, it's not a dating game that we're about. This is the possibility of marriage. This is serious. The end goal is not to have a boyfriend. The end goal is not to have a girlfriend, not at all, but to seek a husband or a wife. You see the difference? If we're seeking just to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that's a relationship, come and go. But when you're seriously loving other people in the fellowship, wanting their best, you take it seriously. And if you want to be married, you seek a husband or wife for life. It's a big thing. It's an important thing. It's a serious thing. And of course, we need to appreciate and use the wisdom of mature Christians. And that's one thing that in the younger generation, probably from the 1960s, 70s onwards, that young people say, no, I'm not going to listen to my elders. I'm going to do my, my thing my way. Now, in, um, for example, I heard of a missionary in Japan. And uh, he, he became an elder of the church there, uh, came from this country. And uh, he went out there, became an elder in the church there. And one of the things in the culture there in Japan is this, that if a, a young person is interested in, in uh, getting to know a person of the opposite sex in the, in the church, they will go to the leaders of the church and say, please pray for me. Uh, and I'm interested in this person. And then the elder of the church will then speak to the family of, of the girl or, or, or the fella in mind and talk, talk about it. And there'll be some kind of input from the elders of the church into the relationship. And you can see the wisdom of that and in that culture that, that works. Maybe it's, maybe it's not quite our culture, but there is an importance of younger people listening to older people, speaking to older Christians that you can trust. What do you think? And to listen to advice. So let's not be foolish and think that uh, older people don't under, don't, won't ever have any clue because they're old, they're past it. You know, start to get gray hair and you don't know nothing. Well, that's not true because they've been through it. They know what it's like. They know what heartbreaks are like. They know what heartaches are like. They know what it is to love someone, fall in love with someone and find it a struggle. So don't be afraid to talk to, to the older folk. Maybe even not like very old folk, but even the middle-aged folk. They've got some advice to give to you. So use and appreciate the wisdom of mature Christians. And of course, we need to pray about this. If we're a Christian, we need to be prayerful and we not need to avoid allowing raw emotion to blind common sense. That's one major pitfall that we fall into when we're thinking about someone to marry. The raw emotion can blind common sense, which is why we need to talk to others, pray about it, step back at times and look at it from a cooler position. Let's remember this, that practically speaking, lust, love, and attraction can have blurred edges. It can be quite fuzzy. And we're not always quite sure where the edges start and finish. The other thing to bear in mind is this, a physiological thing, is that sexual attraction is a drug, or it releases drugs in the body, natural drugs. Falling in love is a drug. In fact, some people can fall in love with falling in love. They're actually not necessarily interested in the person as a whole, but they, they easily fall in love because they, it's a drug. They fall in love with falling in love, and that's something important to remember. So we need to keep ourselves, if you like, out of inappropriate situations with people that we're attracted to so that, so that lost physical attraction can't overpower our thinking processes. So we need wisdom there. So in summary, get to know people in the church in the, in the group context. Pray lots, talk to advisors lots, and pray again. And remember this, think marriage, not dating. If you ask eventually that man or woman out, you need to be seriously considering marriage not a fling, not just dating. So hopefully that's some advice on those 
issues. As I said, we've skimmed the surface and uh, there's a lot more that we could uh, look at and please do ask any questions. But what next then? Well, just in summary now, to uh, briefly to finish off, there's some teaching on marriage coming up. Pastor Andrew is planning various things for next year. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So keep watch out uh, for that. But let me ask you, are you struggling with friendships in general? Do you want to have advice or a chat about singleness, about your challenges, your struggles? Do you want to be married, but finding it rather scary, maybe exciting, but where do you start? Maybe the genuine unfulfilled longing for intimacy is leading to pressures towards pornography. Maybe that's a problem. You think you're the only person in the world who's struggling with that. You need some help. You need to chat, maybe. You're struggling with marriage in your current marriage, obviously, and maybe it's communication issues, maybe it's expectations, maybe it's financial pressures, maybe it's other things. Maybe the children have left home and maybe you're struggling to know what to talk about and that's a difficult issue for you. Well, did you know that none of these problems are unique or new? And they're not, don't, didn't just start with you. And what I feel moved to do is this, uh, in the light of these different issues, is to, to basically offer our home for a chat, some coffee and cake. And he makes good cake. Some issues we can address in a small group situation. Just chat about being Darby and Joan now. Just have a chat about being on our own, the children have grown up and just discuss, not necessarily a heavy counselling thing, but just a chat about those kind of things. Would that be helpful to you? Maybe more one-to-one -one or, or two-to-one chat. Maybe go for a walk or a talk with either Mandy or me and uh, we can talk about things, chat. And there might be others in the church you know you can do that with as well, so it's not just us. But we don't want you to be on your own in these things and to be struggling in these things. There's help available. We love you and we want to support you. Maybe you can be part of a, a group chat to share your experiences and to help others. Maybe that could be something you could do. But if you're wrestling or if you're struggling with any of these issues, do please let me know. You don't need to be alone. You don't need to suffer alone. And the Lord has wisdom for us in his word, doesn't he? And we can share and help each other as we continue on the journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, you know our situations, you know our struggles. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would help us to know that we're not alone, that you're listening to us, and you've put us into a flock so that we can help each other. And so, Lord, whether it is one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's one-on-two, whether it's a small group, whether it's a serious counselling situation, or whether it's just a, a chat of friends who want to talk about issues, Lord, help us to take these opportunities and please strengthen us in our relationships, one with each other. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your care and love for us and for this wonderful unity that we have in Christ, where we can be a family together. We pray you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do chat afterwards. Please do ask. Please send me a message. I want to talk, whatever it might be. We're here for you. Mandy as well. Thank you.